Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Averill. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. We're continuing my conversation with Elliot Anderson. He's a psychotherapist and a pastor. You guys have enjoyed his conversations with me recently about the mother wound and the father wound. And it seems like every time we talk, I get some feedback from listeners who say, okay, yeah, but what about this? And so it's that next question that comes to mind. And specifically with the mother wound episode, that's episode 127. If you haven't listened to that, it'd be a good idea to check that one out because we're going to kind of continue from there. One of the things Elliot talked about is that women who have experienced a mother wound and based on the women and the men that he's counseled for the last 30 years in his couples therapy practice, he finds that women who have experienced a mother wound may be drawn to men who are passive and even sometimes homosexual men and how that passivity in the men, because of the mother wound, the women are drawn to that and these men who are passive are drawn to these women with mother wounds. We touched on that and we got subsequent questions about it. So Elliot is back to flesh this out and really to ask the question or answer the question or tackle the question What's going on with passivity with men today? So that's a lot to lay out there, Elliot. What you got for us? Yes, thanks, Karen. Great to be on the show again. And uh, this is a topic uh, that I've dealt with for 30 years, especially besides the couple's work, uh, working with men who struggle in identity, struggle in masculinity, assertiveness, taking charge of their life. Yeah, I do feel, and I know we're going to get into a lot of realms, but just to start the conversation, what you said right there is something I hear from a lot of women in my community about passivity. They certainly as women love everything that women have been able to do over the last 50, 60, 70 years to be more empowered, to take charge of their lives. At the same time, they want a man most women, and I'm not speaking for all women, absolutely not, but many of the women in my community, they want a man to take charge, to be in leadership, to compliment them with their own strengths and leadership, but to also have that in kind with their partner. And even starting with the dating process on these apps, oftentimes they'll match with a guy and on Bumble, for example, where women are the ones who have to reach out first, they may reach out and then there's crickets or it's a high. But not really taking the lead of like, let's have a little bit more in-depth conversation, even on the app to get things going. There seems to be this men being very comfortable letting women take the lead and the women really desiring in their heart of hearts for a man to do more of that. Yeah, if I may draw on some of the biblical foundation here of masculinity, when God created Adam, he told him to take dominion and to uh, lead and to name and to discover and to plant and to build and to grow. And it's my belief as a man myself and then in my practice for 30 years that men need to be productive. They need to produce. They need to initiate. They need to pursue. And many men with father wounds or mother wounds or without have a hard time doing that. The research tells us men aren't really reaching maturity now until mid-20s rather than our father's age or our grandfather's age where... You know, they were in war at 17, 18 years old. All of life changes. 
So that adulting process, men are behind. We know women grow and mature quicker anyway. And oftentimes I think men live in a desperate state of fear, more worried about trying to please the woman, trying to figure out what does she want? How can I make her happy rather than leading the woman and helping the interdependence grow and, and both of them be happy? Yeah, I definitely see that where there's a fear factor you spoke to and a tentativeness that women don't respond well to. And I think what happens is that then it pulls out of the woman, well, I'm capable, I can handle this. If, if I need to take charge, I will. I'd rather be in true partnership, even at the onset of the relationship. But I've heard from men in this space that they have this fear. And maybe part of it is in the day, a man could be more forward. Whereas now we have Me Too movements where men are afraid that that maybe if they would touch a woman on her arm, that that would be perceived as, as sexual harassment. Things have gotten for the better in many ways, but have also gotten perhaps more confusing. Yeah, I think the contextualization of male-female relationships in public sector has changed completely. It doesn't help many men. So some of that passivity is understood. And by passivity, what we're talking about is not a reserved nature not an introverted nature, not a quiet nature. We're talking about someone who has seen things they want to do, need to do, and just not doing it. Choosing to not go forward, choosing not to. Yeah, and choosing not to take the initiative with the dating process even. And I think that that's something that's really, like I said earlier, it's really causing some frustration with the women in my community. They feel like they can be on these apps. And then maybe even if they do begin some conversation with someone, it could be, weeks or months even before he's even trying to get a face-to-face meeting and they're going why am i going back and forth text messaging this guy for months why can't he and i think they would say man up and ask me out on a proper date to go get a cup of coffee yeah the the apps are wonderful for its convenience for its opportunity to find a community of uh, dateable people But most of the young men I counsel, the fear of rejection completely overwhelms any desire they have to take some kind of initiation, even if the woman reached out first. It's almost like a mental block, a cognitive belief that even if she reached out, I'm not strong enough, I can't possibly be what she wants, I'm not ready, I don't have enough money, there could be all kinds of contextual issues that kind of sinks into that passivity. And what I've seen with a lot of young men as well is that passivity is something that's kind of been nurtured. It's been uh, stuff in school or stuff at home. Uh, Many young men who did not have fathers kind of model for them. This is how you're masculine. This is how you grow. This is how you pursue things. And maybe they struggled in school. Maybe they didn't. But they just kind of get into an environment of I'm going to respond to others rather than bring forth myself. So, you know, the developmental psychologist comes out in me now and what are we doing with our young men when we're raising them that's different, that's causing them to struggle to stepping into manhood? Yeah, I think one of the, the most significant mistakes we make is not calling men to action sooner, not calling them into responsibility sooner. And sometimes our, our young men are a little bit reckless and rebellious and not showing responsibility. And it's just easier sometimes to placate that laziness and that apathy and take care of things for them. I'll fill out that application. Happen to see that all the time where a young man tells me he's getting ready to go to a job interview and he's not even sure where it is. Uh, his mother's taking care of it. His girlfriend's taking care of him. He doesn't he even know what time it is. 
that whole process, kind of just coddling a young boy and not allowing him to be a man and say, no, this is your job opportunity. You step up, you take the lead, you take care of it. Yeah, it could be systemic stuff within the family and maybe a mother needing to be needed and not letting her son launch and inadvertently, like you said, coddling and keeping him infantilized. And then he's ill-equipped to launch and to even pursue a romantic relationship and his primary bond is still with his mother and that's going to complicate things as well. Yeah, there is a, um, a whole almost pandemic of males afraid to be men. They're just yeah. boys and stay that way. And that's where that whole dating concept comes into to place. Because if a woman is trying to date a boy, it's not. No. She needs to date a man. And so a lot of boys don't know how to be a man yet. And I think a woman falls into a trap occasionally of, either enabling him to stay as a boy and, and not calling him out. And, and you got to be careful on that accountability, but at least not trying to encourage him to rise up into responsibility and leadership or assumes that, well, I guess I'll take leadership and I'll control and, and then setting up a, a dynamic in that relationship that's more maternal than it is romantic. And so I'm sure you're seeing that with some of your couples then. So they're coming in. And these are maybe young people in college yet or just graduated, many trying to set a foundation for marriage. They may be in premarital or pre-premarital or some couples who are maybe several years into their marriage and realizing, wow, we have a really female dominant dynamic in our marriage, which worked for a while. And then are you seeing that the man is eventually wanting to leave that passive role and then there's resistance because that dynamic has been so firmly set? Or is it more the woman coming in going, I'm running everything and now she's got a couple kids and he's feeling like yet another child? Yeah, I see it on a couple different fronts, but mainly if it's established pattern for six, seven, eight, ten years and coming out of a lot of woundedness, especially for that male if there hasn't been a strong father figure or father model or a spiritual father in his life, that it takes a crisis to, to change. It takes some kind of significant event where they feel completely stripped of the uh, facade they've created and the passivity is no longer acceptable. And usually when a man's in chronic passivity, uh, Karen, he'll, he'll start to escape into other behaviors. He might not be mean to his wife. He might not be uh, you know, aggressive or harming to his children. But that lack of soul fulfillment of being a passive man when scripture clearly teaches us for men to be assertive and cherishing and honoring his wife, not placating and pleasing. Then I see the pornography, then I see the alcohol, then I see the gambling or, or some type of other addiction of escapism of their own stripped down sense of self, emasculation of self. Even if the wife has done a great job comforting and encouraging and challenging, uh, he knows he's not living as a man should and, and therefore... I see those passivity escape behaviors. Let's focus on that for a moment because you said a distinction between cherishing, and I can't remember the other word you used, versus pleasing and placating. So you're making a distinction. A man might think, well, I'm just letting her do her thing and letting her get her way, and that's what a good husband does. You know, happy wife, happy life. Maybe he's got it twisted and not understanding that, yeah, she gets her way, but really she's only doing that and demanding to get her way because she, she feels like if she doesn't take charge, no one's going to take charge. No one's going to take the reins when really she would like to see some initiative on his end. Yeah. And I see it all the time on insignificant issues. And I'll have girlfriends or engaged uh, fiancés or wives early in their career be so frustrated that even when they're going out to eat, 
the husband won't choose. And she's like, I, I just want one time, honey, for you to just say, we're going to Olive Garden, even though you know I don't like it because I'm tired of you letting me do whatever I want. Right. And, and that whole happiness myth, happiness does not make uh, a great fulfillment of self, first of all, joy does, not happiness. And secondly, uh, so many of the men, even in their 30s that I work with, are deathly afraid to hurt their wife's feelings. And yeah, I don't want a husband to hurt his wife's feelings all the time, but you can't be in a good marriage and not occasionally hurt each other's feelings. Not in a way that's aggressive and abusive, certainly, but we're two different people. And if we gain strength individually, you and I talk about this a lot, and we're interdependent of each other, not codependent, then there's going to be plenty of times where I want to do something and you want to do something. They're not going to totally align. Yeah, it's that authenticity element of marriage. And I absolutely believe in cherishing and honoring and dating your spouse. I love putting it that way. I didn't make that up. I wish I had. But just to treat each other with that same enthusiasm and respect and honor that you did when you were dating. At the same time, you're doing life together. (laughs) You're going to be authentic and you're going to hurt each other's feelings from time to time. You know, you mentioned interdependent versus codependent. And I think it's always wise to highlight what codependency is versus interdependence. Interdependence is two complete individuals, very full and sure of their own independence, who choose to partner together and then choose to, because they are doing life together, choose to lean on each other and choose to play to each other's strengths. That is willing It is intentional. It is voluntary. Codependence is when people are essentially fused together in a very dysfunctional manner based on, typically, we talk about from the addictions literature, we talk about an addict and he's trying to get clean and the wife wants him clean as well. And everyone wants the addict clean, except unfortunately what happens is because the addiction has become so integral to their connection, then the the person who isn't the addict may unintentionally undermine the addict's efforts to get clean because the sickness has become such a function of their connection that she at some level fears that if he does get clean, he won't need her anymore. And she has now learned to need to be needed to actually, again, not Not consciously, but the addiction now gives her a sense of purpose. I love my husband so much. I sacrifice for him. We're doing everything we can to help him get well. And it becomes this, I need you to need me. That is the most pure definition of codependency. And people use it in different ways, but just an idea of the distinction we're making here. And I'm very big about independence. And again, because I was single for forever, and I believe that the strongest marriages and the research shows this are two strong, independent people who choose to come together, like I said. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that we don't enjoy that connection because otherwise, why are we married? <laughs> why are we doing this anyway? And I see the a relationship with a healthy, strong woman and a passive male as automatically being codependent. That's interesting. The, they're incapable of interdependence if a male is being passive. Again, not talking about being shy or introverted or reserved. We're talking about a man intentionally not leading self. You can't lead self. You're certainly not leading your spouse as well. And it's impossible to get to interdependence. And I see all the time the wives trying to encourage and strengthen and lift up a male. And certainly we all need that from time to times, but not if it's universal. Or 
she starts to rationalize and justify and make excuses for and even in counseling when he's trying to start to speak up i've seen in my living room people shush a passive male he's almost lost his position and lost his right to speak up and she's so i'm not blaming her she's so used to taking over and having to care for everything and a lot of men check out of parenting as well Mm -hmm. and just become completely passive and Karen, even in scripture, even our greatest Bible heroes like King David and scripture says his heart is the most like God's. And this was a mighty warrior, the man who defeated Goliath and was an amazing shepherd and musician. But in great periods of his life, his passivity caused destruction. It was his passivity when men were supposed to be at war, when he went up on top of his temple and, and saw Bathsheba and then committed adultery and murder. And it was passivity that caused his major issue with his sons when One of his sons rapes one of his other daughters and he does nothing. So if it happens to the men in the Bible who say their heart is most like God's, and and that's a difficult concept to wrestle through and it's a whole sermon, but if they struggle with it, it's certainly going to hit some of our young men today or married men for that matter. And any season of passivity that continues beyond a week or two and some kind of response to difficult time in life starts to take root and cause major destruction. Let's underscore what you said a moment ago about a woman who is super strong and a passive man, that dynamic is inherently codependent. Now, I'm wondering if some of my feminist listeners are going to say, what? Because I'm a big presence. I've got a lot of energy. And I guess the first thing I'll say before you answer is I know a lot of women who are very, very opinionated, strong. People might even say domineering. And they are partnered up with men who are equally opinionated and strong. And so I don't want to suggest that any woman, and I talk about in my book, should ever water herself down to appear more meek and mild, and somehow that would make her more appealing and attractive to a strong man. I don't believe that at all. At the same time, what you were saying really struck me that it's inherently codependent because the woman is then needing him to remain passive. Like Even though she's saying on the surface, I want him to man up, but she's really needing him to stay, needing her? Yeah, I think it's become established. Maybe it wasn't the way it started. Maybe it's not the way they want it, but it became established, especially when children are involved. And quite frankly, we know in marriage, it's easier for one parent to make the decision about the kids. Yeah. A lot easier. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes if there's an absent father and then he wants to come in and start leading again or try to not be passive, and well, she's got the whole system set. So I completely understand the pragmatics there and why that takes place. And Again, most of the strong women I have worked with don't necessarily have a passive husband and don't necessarily want one, but often it's entrenched in there. And it's a, I tell couples all the time, this will take a year or more to kind of re-transition and realign uh, appropriate assertiveness in relationship, helping him feel strong as a man first, which we're going to do a lot of man-to-man work, not just couple work. Uh, And many times I have to teach the, the wife how to give him space to come back in. And that's really difficult. Most of the time the women have been hurt and feel abandoned or neglected by his passivity. And she has to forgive and she has to give him room again to rise back into that position and even turn over responsibilities again that maybe he had let go of. And, and most men who stay in passivity are also depressed. So there's often, often a lot of repressed grieving. So I see a lot of trapped repressed grieving in men that leads to consequential passivity. What does it look like when they create space as you spoke to what does that look like tangibly speaking or give us an example from your practice yeah i'm always looking for the opportunity 
to say, well, when was it different? So even if we had to go back to the dating, if they've been married 10 years, let's talk about the dating scenario. And, and when did you feel like it was more equal? When did you feel like there was equal independence or interdependence? And if there's a model there, great. We'll use that as a template and move forward again. Sometimes it's as simple as making date night be the man's choice or rotate, even if, even if it's another way. So it's such a simple, simple decision. Uh, but to allow context of that, sometimes it's in the sexual arena where the man wants to express himself differently and he's afraid to ask his wife. He never talks about it. And so then to him, sex is boring, even if there's fulfillment and he's feeling trapped. And then he ends up looking for escapes again to be more stimulated and encouraged. But his wife doesn't even know. She, he never talked to her about mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. So again, then in that arena, it's talking about, okay, we need to open new dialogue about the sexual communication and expectations and you know, my, my uh, equation, expectation plus beliefs equals fulfillment. So if we don't talk about what those expectations mean, if we don't talk about what the beliefs are that under, underline those or express those, then we won't reach fulfillment. So to get space, Karen, what you're asking to be clear is to redevelop or initiate for the first time a whole different communication system. And, and that's as tough on the, the woman as it is the man. Because I can see, I'm trying to think, like you said, the onset, I'm thinking of initially, she doesn't mind that she's in charge. Maybe initially, because she, she's like, yeah, then I get to run the show. And he's so kind and he's loving and he's tender and that feels safe and secure. And then he kind of goes, oh, okay, I'm passive. That feels nice to have her take the reins because it's just easier on my end. But then eventually starts to resent her probably. Absolutely. And then you said, and look in the mirror and go, what am I? Am I a man? Yeah. And then the self-loathing. And then, of course, projecting it onto her too, because even though we would say we all have to own our part in a dynamic and he needs to own that he allowed that passivity to sink in and become part of his character He's going to maybe say, well, she, what could I do anyway? Cause, and so, and then does she eventually... Many men get afraid of the female emotional response. That they're feeling? Or what she would come at them? Exactly. Just her response at all. Even if what he had to say was, in his mind, not that big of a deal or not that aggressive. Even if he said it meekly or mildly or even as a wimp. He's still afraid of her response. He almost gets trapped in his own passivity saying, well, I can't possibly tell her the truth. I can't possibly tell her I really feel because that's going to hurt her feelings and she's going to get really mad. Maybe she's going to blow up and then, you know, not want me to even be in the bedroom for a day. It, so they, they get into a cyclical pattern of response to passivity that becomes codependent and very difficult to get out of. Yeah. And I'm just thinking about their attraction for one another. Like she's probably not that attracted to him anymore because. A woman's drawn to masculinity. Right. Drawn to the strength of his character and his right. persona and his ability to direct and to produce and to take charge. Again, even if she doesn't always agree. Right. I've talked to thousands of couples and a woman would rather know a man's heart and know what he thought, even if she doesn't like it, than to not know it at all. Mm -hmm. And if she's left guessing all the time or has no idea, she'll resent him and she's going to even resent herself. I've never seen true resentment in a marriage that wasn't about abuse or something dramatic that didn't include resentment of self also because you get so frustrated with self that this is what's happened or this is the result. And so... A man who resents his wife and he's passive and he knows it. Again, I've counseled and mentored hundreds and hundreds of men. I've never worked with any man who was okay with his passivity. 
He knows he's not stepping up. He knows he's not choosing direction. He's not choosing to be, take charge, not choosing to lead. And it's eating him up also. And then so he'll resent self even if he's resenting his wife. Yeah, that's, I'm just thinking about how, again, he may have been socialized to think, just to not be able to own his own masculinity even in this current generation, I'm wondering. In yeah, there's a lot of men who I think are afraid to be soft, thinking that if they're soft, that's passive. But by yeah. refusing to be emotionally soft, they end up becoming passive. Mm-hmm. It's like their tender side or their emotional side. Again, the modeling factor is gigantic. What you saw in your own family, what you saw in the context of your parents' marriage. And if the men saw a highly responsive emotional context or, uh, in my opinion, caring young men who are traumatized by divorce of their parents or infidelity or things of that nature are impacted sometimes longer than a woman who has a normally a little bit easier time to emotionalize and grieve. Mm, mm-hmm. Men really wrestle with grieving like, I, well, my parents' divorce is not that big of a deal. Right. I, I see that in my writing prompts for my cat last all the time. I always write back, yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah, that's a gigantic deal. And I know you're still hurting. Just kind of giving them freedom again to say, well, just because you're a man and you're on your own now and you're at college doesn't mean your parents getting all of a sudden getting divorced out of nowhere doesn't hurt. Divorce is ubiquitous and we see it. And so it's commonplace. But it's the first time this kid exactly. experienced his parents getting divorced. And I don't care how many other divorces there are out there. That's the first time this child experienced it. Are you looking for customized, personalized gifts? Mugshop Montreal by Brie Jackson has got you covered. She offers a beautiful selection of high quality, personalized custom products. What started off as a fun project for family and friends soon developed into a passion for creating custom keepsakes for anyone, for any occasion. She decided to take the plunge and follow her artistic vision by creating Mug Shop Montreal, a home-based business where she collaborates directly with her clients, using their inspiration to design a detailed, heartwarming souvenir that many have given as gifts or have decided to keep for themselves. You can visit her on Instagram and Facebook at Mug Shop Montreal to browse her lovely products. As we talked about earlier, let's continue to flesh that out a bit. The mother wounded woman may be more drawn to a passive man or even a homosexual. And I don't know if this would be a woman who likes to hang out with gay guys and then crushes on them or if it be a guy who was closeted and she would be drawn to him not knowing and him not being aware or maybe himself or not out yet tell us about that what do you see in your i think the woman who has a mother who neglected abandoned discouraged left hurt abused any of those uh, those are massive core wounds i'm not talking about a mom who's hard to deal with right i'm talking about a significant level of core wound deep in the soul that woman tends to then have internal wrestles with her own femininity, with her own ability to be free with anybody, man or woman, different than that father wound where it's more of a question of the externals, in my opinion, or my experience. So therefore, she's used to saying, well, I can't trust anybody else. I can't even trust my mom Mm -hmm. to take care of me. I'm going to have to take care of myself and I'm going to have to create my own structures, my own context for control. And and therefore, I'm going to be drawn to a man who lets me dictate what's going on. Okay. And again, most of these women I've worked with, once they're in it, they're like, not again. Why? Yeah. Why do I have another man who's afraid to tell me anything and afraid to stand up and 
you and I have talked about this many times. I'm married to a very strong woman. Yeah. And very strong women want very strong men. They don't yeah. want someone that's going to just kind of be a pushover and do whatever they want, even if there's a debate or a healthy disagreement in yeah. that process. Yeah. And so I think that passive male in that case almost gets chosen without his even conscious knowledge that this isn't going to work out either. Yeah. So for so many of my listeners on the dating scene and feeling like they're in that pattern and again, maybe they're meeting on an app and it's not apparent right away that this is a passive guy, but then it starts to become clear and they're feeling that it's something that just keeps happening. How can they, or is there a way for them to screen out these passive guys early on before they get in too deep and get their heart hurt? Yeah, for sure. And it's it's not easy, Karen, at all to switch that pattern. So first, you always got to recognize what is currently going on. Why, you know, how many of these guys have I chosen? What's similar about them? What's the context, the environment, all those issues. Again, if you have some good girlfriends or family members that can you can process this with, that's always helpful. And then there's a, a tipping point to this process that sounds uh, harder than it is. And that's to no longer choose any guy, but let him choose you. And, and that, that is a big reframe. And again, in this, on this timing of online apps and all the dating and COVID, of course, makes this all much harder. Right. Where do we find, where do we go to the environment? If it's the bar, it's the club, it's the community, it's church, you know, it's much harder to do. Uh, but I think it's an enormous piece in this equation to stop thinking of I'm choosing the wrong guy and say, no, I need to be chosen. And yeah. I think that, again, goes back to some biblical context. And, and, and it's, uh, it's tricky. Well, it's also the science. Dr. Dwayna Welch has been on my program several times now speaking to her several books that she's done a ton of research from anthropology, psychology, from evolutionary psych. The reality is that men desire pursuing. They enjoy the pursuit. And when they have to pursue and they have to be the one to woo her, win her over, they're more satisfied with their efforts. For sure. And I think it's a golden rule for me. It might sound ridiculous to women, your listeners, because of what they've already been through. And it's so frustrating. But if you have to remind him more than once, text or, or initial conversation more than once, be done. Yep. He's not ready for you. Yep. And uh, he's not going to rise up quickly. And so if you're supposed to have a, he's supposed to plan the next day and it's Saturday and he, you haven't heard from him yet. And it's supposed to be that night. And then at 630 he calls and, hey, you want to do this? And nope, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to do it three days ago, but now you gave me no time, you know, all that kind of thing. So setting that high standard quickly mm -hmm. uh, and, and maybe that'll be a quick reframe for him to say, well, if I'm interested in this woman, I guess I'm going to have to step my game up and set that tone early. I love that because it really echoes what Dr. Welch talks about. She uses the term high status. And so my community and I have been talking about presenting ourselves in the dating scene as high status. And this is not about Gucci and name brands. It's not about that at all. It's knowing your worth and knowing that you deserve to be pursued. And as a woman, I loved that because it was a secure position for me to be in. When I met Dan and he was consistent and calling and manning up but it was so refreshing to have Dan demonstrate that he was willing to come to me to pursue. And I know because I've been there and in my many years of dating, I did date some passive men at times. And I know how frustrating that can be for a woman, how beautiful it feels to have that man 
do that pursuing. And it was a safe place because I never had to guess how he felt about me. Yeah. And sometimes a woman has to give the man a chance to get there. That space again. Yeah. So if you have interest and there's some mutuality there and he's being a little slow, don't jump the gun. Give him a little bit of time to pursue and then strongly encourage if that pursuit comes. If it doesn't come again, then I'm moving on quickly. And if he does then reach out a year from then, I tell him, sorry, I moved on. Um, there's a real difference between being available and being available. Mm-hmm. So you're single and you're saying I'm available. But if you have a closed off look, there's something about a woman's look, whether or not she's truly available to be pursued. Mm-hmm. Rather than approaching him or rather than just giving a closed off look or a, I'm too good for you look. Well, women get frustrated with this. And I've received questions about this where they say, OK, so I'm supposed to be high status, which means that he needs to pursue me, which means he does the initiating for the dates. And Dr. Welch says he needs to be the one to say, can we be exclusive? Not a girl saying to a guy, hey, I'd like to date you. Yes. Exclusively, it's got to be the man. And sometimes, again, as empowered women that can go, wait a minute, but I, I, if I want him, I should go after him and I should take charge. But that gets back to the dynamics we spoke yeah. to earlier. Sets that pattern. Right. And so you're saying a quick and easy way to essentially filter out all these passive men is to maintain that high status approach to the dating realm. And let the ones who are passive fall by the wayside because they won't be pursuing you. They won't be appropriate. They'll be sliding into your DMs saying, oh, yeah, like you said, it's Saturday at five o'clock. Hey, you want to come over to hang out? No, I don't. I want you to call me up on Monday and set a proper date for Saturday. And it's again, it sounds almost old school. But and then I think I understand a woman's lonely and she's sad and she's tired. And so sometimes there's that guy who just call and you know what's going to happen. Right. It's all about a quick sex uh, opportunity or experience. And I understand why she goes, Mm -hmm. but she's repeating that pattern again. And if the man has that opportunity, just kind of do a quick hookup. Well, yeah. A lot of them are going to do it. Sure. And I'm not blaming the woman. It's, It's both. Right. But there's that whole high standard, high status, high direction and... Not only let those passive guys slide by, I would shove them by, <laughs> move them out of the way. Yeah. And, and I know that takes some effort as well. Yeah, because they're wasting your time. And there's seasons. You and I have talked about this earlier today. There's seasons when we're recovering from something, we're healing, we're transitioning. And a strong woman might find herself with a passive guy for a momentary companionship or relationship. It's understandable, but once you recognize it, and you know there's nothing there in the future. Again, it's moving out of that relatively quickly before all of a sudden a pattern gets entrenched. And three years later, you're like, why am I with this guy again? And, and he mm-hmm. might be saying the exact same thing. So yeah. it's helping that process much quicker. What do you think about women who would say, well, there just aren't those kind of guys out there anymore. They don't exist. And we've talked about earlier in the program, we said, yeah, there may be some of the realities of this generation have We may have higher levels of passive men out there compared to other generations. Do you think that that's reality or is that just women maybe with a confirmation bias that they need to work on? Like if I'm assuming all guys are passive, am I then going to focus in on the ones that are to confirm my bias and my assumption? Yeah, I mean, certainly that could be in play. And I don't pretend to know the Generation Z like my baby boomer generation or anything that capacity. I think you're Gen X, I think. I know, but I act more like a boomer. So that's why I call myself a boomer. I'm, okay, I'm boomer. The, I'm the late boomer. 
I think in, in the opportunity and this sounds and, and really in this day and age with the uh, selection process being all these pre preload of information, preload of context, mm-hmm. not the old days like, hey, what's your name? What do you do? Right. Now it's like, I know everything about you already. Right. And I've selected you. Well, if you're doing it that way, that's fine. We know lots of people who found their mates that way, which is not a problem at all. Right. But then know what you're selecting. So yeah. if you need an assertive guy, then this is a dramatic for humor. If he says something like, well, I'm 27, I live in my parents' basement, and I don't have a job, <laughs> I'm saying no. I'm scrolling to the right or whatever that happens, right? But if I see something like, uh, I'm a lawyer, I got a part-time business on the side, you know, I'm involved in three different charities, I'm like, assertive man. Right. I'm not drawn to lawyers. I've never liked their attitude and their arrogance <laughs> or whatever you might want to say. Maybe I need to do something different. Mm-hmm. Maybe I need to select something that looks aggressively different and, and counter that. Yeah. yeah. If, if the pattern that is in place isn't working, maybe, yeah. Especially it. if there is a repetitive passivity choice. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. But I love that as an idea of here's a really foolproof way to screen out those passive men is to let men take the lead And the ones who are passive won't be doing that. If you're looking for some in-depth support, head over to my website, loveandlifemedia.com and click on the Work With Me tab to schedule a consultation. Consultations will help you clarify underlying emotional and psychological concerns, will target limiting beliefs and thought patterns, We'll learn empowering techniques from cognitive therapy to sustainably elevate your mindset and mood. We'll identify relationship dynamics which are impeding your goals. And we'll together generate a concrete plan for moving forward to help you thrive in love and life. Schedule your consultation today at loveandlifemedia.com. I'd love to work with you. Okay, so we've covered the women who are on the dating scene and trying to avoid passive men. How about if you are dating or married to a passive man and you love this man and you do not want to leave this man, but you are not okay with the dynamics as is? So there has to be some conversation, first of all, to express some disappointment or some sadness or some reality, some truth telling in an environment that does not emasculate him completely. So not shouting. Uh, not condemning. Most men do not receive that rejection of ego very well at all. So it's the kindness. It's a little bit of the gentleness. And then you're giving him some space to lead and make some decisions in your relationship. As we talked about earlier, some small ones first, where you're eating, things like that. What service you go to for church, any of those things that might be small little decisions. And then you really need to encourage him to go back and find himself. Mm. What are his passions that maybe he's put away? He loves to do woodworking. He hasn't touched wood in a long time. He used to hang out with a, a group of guys and he quit going. Maybe he went for, he quit going for good reasons. Maybe he was helping with the kids. Maybe he was doing stuff with you. And now you're kind of shoving him out again. Hey, go hang with the bros again. You know, yeah. make, go back and get in a rec league again. Find it, find some of that youthful masculinity for him. And if he has some losses on the masculine side, loss of father, loss of uncle, loss of grandfather, Looking for another spiritual father again, bringing that term back up. Some man who can invest in his life and encourage him. And you might even be able to tell him, hey, what about so-and-so at church? Or what about so-and-so at work? Maybe you guys could have a weekly breakfast once in a while. Mm -hmm. And again, just got to bring those things up and leave them. Mm. Make sure he is assertive to choose them. 
You don't want to set it up for him. You don't want right. to come to him and say, hey, by the way, I called so-and-so. He'll be there at 630 tomorrow morning. Because <laughs> right. a lot of times he'll go, but it's not his initiative. It's not going to stick. Right. So it's bringing up the idea, bringing up the possibility. Many men have great visions and dreams in their youth, and they give up on them. Mm. And so if a woman knows what that dream is, even if there's some risk involved in pursuing it, to cheerlead the daylights out of him and say, hey, hon, I'm, if this is something deep in your soul you really need to do, then go mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and give me that opportunity. That, that's super important to help him find his masculinity, find himself and rise up into a better position. Yeah, and I love that word cheerleader. We should be each other's biggest fan yeah. and, and number one cheerleader. And that doesn't feel like I'm having to raise my husband or I'm having to, again, take that leadership role. It's, I am so enthusiastic about what you're so enthusiastic about. And I'm seeing that the realities of life have deterred you from, or distracted you from your dream. And I'm here to be on the sidelines cheering you on and maybe an integral role should you need support, but letting you take the initiative with this dream that you have cast aside for whatever reason. Yeah, and mutual dreams, of course. We're not yeah. asking the woman to put her dream completely away to do his because then we'll have another unequally balanced scenario. But sometimes that rebirth, that dream, and, and just to have a woman believe in him, especially the woman loves him and that he loves, especially if he's not fulfilling what he wants to fill at work. He's been passed up for promotion three times. And yeah. uh, that discouragement, that ego shot can be big and it kind of slips into passivity. Of, well, what does it matter? Mm-hmm. And then there's a little bit of depression, again, repressed grieving. And so, yeah, the interdependence to know each other, share with each other, uh, encourage one another and cheerlead. Yeah. If you have just a few seconds to help me out, I would so appreciate it. You can do so by heading over to Apple Podcasts, giving us a five-star rating and a few sentences of review that helps others find the program and join the Love and Life family. So, Back to my ladies on the dating scene, a lot of women in my community are concerned because in these initial stages of dating, they feel that they have, they've self-diagnosed as I have anxious attachment because he doesn't text back as readily as I'd like. And I'm not hearing from him as frequently from date to date. And they get keyed up and they get nervous and they're unsure of where they stand with him and that definitely anxiety provoking. And I think we can all agree that that's a normal part of getting to know someone. We don't know where we stand after three dates, nor should we, nor could we, because we're getting to know each other. It's part of the process. So I talk about dating being information gathering and trying to just rest in the process of it. And yes, it's awkward. Yes, it's uncomfortable. But I'm wondering, now that we're talking about this passivity piece, If we have a woman who's anxiously attached and she's having a hard time laying back and she's maybe sending a lot of texts, right? Because she wants that affirmation, that confirmation that he's thinking of her, but she's initiating them. Would the anxiously attached woman perhaps end up with a passive man because she's the one who's always pursuing through these initial texts and initial phone calls and initial... I think she's really setting herself up to anxious attachment for the whole ride. Okay. And, and I think, first of all, in my opinion, a, an attachment can't really be formed until you're at least nine months to a year in a relationship. It takes a, a, a creative sense of intimacy development. It, so if you say you have an anxious attachment with a, 
a guy you've dated three times, you have zero attachment. <laughs> you just have an anxious response to the guy that you're dating. Oh, that's good. Yeah, there's no attachment there yet. That's way too significant. You're already in codependency. If you're calling it an attachment, you're already counting on his response to make you feel attached, but you can't possibly be attached to someone you don't know. Okay, we're taking that as a soundbite, and I'm going to just play that a lot because, so wait, now they might say, my community might come back and say, well, no, I'm not saying I'm anxiously attached to this guy per se. I have an anxious attachment style based on my other past relationships or based on my primary caregiver. So I'm bringing that to this brand new relationship. And that's why I'd say you have anxious attachment to your past and you have mother or father or ex wounds that you haven't healed from. You haven't forgiven them. You haven't grieved. You haven't walked through your stuff. If you tell yourself you have that pattern, you're going to recreate it. And you have no shot with this next guy. You're going to go right into that, believing this distorted thought, believing this false belief, this negative assumption. You will create an anxious attachment. He might be the most secure and strong guy in the room. Right. And we spoke to that in episode 76 when we talked about those unconscious beliefs that are always with us. From the beginning of the relationship, from the very first contact point to the end of the relationship and even throughout marriage. And we have to try as best as we can, like you said, to heal that mother wound, episode 127, to heal that father wound, episode 125, or to look at those unconscious beliefs. Yes, they're subconscious right now, but we can do some work to bring them to the surface to make sure that we're not. I mean, I love how you said that, Elliot. For someone to embody, and that's why I so resist this diagnostic inflation, to say that because I had a bad breakup, which most of my community has had several bad breakups, and I get it, I same, but to then say, because of that wound from my childhood, from my past relationships, that I now have this flawed response. When it's a reasonable response. Absolutely. It's a, it's the appropriate response. You'd be bizarre and you'd be a, a robot if you didn't have that response. But then the next step is to not step into this identity of I will always be anxiously attached and instead to do some work with a therapist, do some podcast listening, do something that can help you bring those beliefs to awareness and then challenge them. Let, let me give some pragmatics Please on do. I, I just, um, right before my class on Thursday night, a young woman had just gotten broke up with that I had in a previous class. So some, as often happens in a college environment, two friends came and found me and <laughs> asked me to help her for a minute. And so I didn't have much time and, and I couldn't even dive into the whole issue. She just told me a brief scenario what happened. And so one of the exercises I do with students and clients all the time, I think is super helpful. Sit down and do a quick evaluation. I mean, the breakup was fresh that day. Wow. Sit down and, and make an evaluation and say, these are the things that were great in this relationship. These are the things that were tough. Mm-hmm. These might be the reasons he claimed were the reason we broke up. These might be the reason I claim we broke up. Walk through those, talk them out loud, write them down and talk them, different parts of the brain processing and begin that healing process immediately. And it was fascinating to me. She could barely breathe and talk when we first started and yeah. simply talking about a little context and then a little assignment. She was completely calm and restful in 15 minutes. And I'm not a miracle man. It was just helping her think of something beyond the pain, beyond the catastrophic news. And I, I don't minimize that. No. She thought she was going to marry him. So I understand why she was devastated. Yeah. But if we just sit in that and sit in that and sit in that and then blame ourselves and blame ourselves and then I'll never find another man. And now I have anxious attachment or now I have insecure attachment <laughs> right. or you know, now I'm flawed. Now I'm obviously not pretty enough. I'm not beautiful enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not Christian enough. Whatever those answers are. And we'll believe them. 
And then bang, we take that right into the next relationship. So it's really wiping the slate clean through therapeutic, spiritual forgiveness, healing, growth, intentionality, prayer, and belief. Elliot has a background in crisis therapy as well. You can tell because that's a crisis situation. She was flooded with emotions. She couldn't think. And what you did in that moment, neurologically speaking, you took it from the emotional centers of the brain. You brought it to the frontal lobe. You got to brass tacks, to concrete, black and white, put it down on paper. And that helped just shift the neural energy. Immediately. And that was exactly what she needed because she was probably in that precarious place where she could have, if she continued to let those emotions flood her, she could have gone off into, I'm not saying something catastrophic, but she could have, it would have been a different reality for the rest of the night. And she's talking about, well, what should I tell him? And can I, you know, should I text him this or tell him? I said, no. Yeah. He said what he needed. Now you have to give him space. I think it's free. You've been together a long time. If you want to reach back out to him in a couple of weeks. And say, hey, can we have a conversation just yeah. so I can better process? Totally fine. But now the man's made a decision or the mm. woman's made a decision. It's the other way around. Right. And now I accept that as truth and reality rather than think automatic. How can I change that? Yeah. How can I save that? Well, that's not in play anymore. Now, how do I handle that? How do I grow? How do I learn? How do I prepare for the next relationship? Mm-hmm. And women do that so often. I know men do, too. At a breakup, there's that if I'd said this, if I'd done this and just that ruminating. Yeah. The, the old, why did this happen? And just killing yourself analytically, picking yourself apart, uh, assuming again that it's your fault or it's your reason or something you did to cause this mm-hmm. rather than just a natural response to life. And that's again, something else my community and I talk about a lot. Dating is to gather that information, like I said a few minutes ago, and so are dating relationships. And not every person you date, even for several years, is going to go the distance because it's not the right fit. It shouldn't go the distance. Every breakup is a blessing in disguise, and this is from someone who had so many breakups. But it is, and in that moment, it doesn't feel like it. But that was a great opportunity to move that Quickly, even though there's more right. grieving to do. I'm not trying to shut off her grieving. No, no, Just no, trying no. to change the context of the grieving, the context of the belief, and neurologically move to another mm-hmm. a brain passage, brainwave there, movement. Mm-hmm. The reality of those scenarios is that it is intentional movement towards something else mm-hmm. rather than this is now my new identity. Right. I'm now the broken up girl. No, I'm a girl who's now single again. Mm-hmm. Even that language is so much different. The semantics we tell ourselves that helps our beliefs mm-hmm. and helps our patterns. Why didn't you tell me that when I was going through all my breakups? Uh, I was trying. I think maybe you did tell me. <laughs> I think I did not have ears to hear. <laughs> we, well, sometimes you did. We, we are working through that together. But, and again, I'm supposed to be your brother, not your therapist. So that is true. It's a little bit of each. But. Yeah, Elliot got a lot, you guys. We'll go into that some some episode. There were many, many tears on, on Elliot and Angie's couch. <laughs> many. Let's connect on social. I'm most active on Instagram, where I post original quotes, infographics, and I tackle trending topics in my Love Smarter, Not Harder IGTVs. On Insta, you can find me at Dr. Karen, D-R dot K-A-R-I-N. I'm also on Facebook at Dr. Karen Anderson April, and on Twitter at Dr. Karen Anderson. Okay, Elliot, as we wrap up, we have talked about 
dating patterns and trying to avoid passive men. And we've talked about what to do if you are in a relationship with a passive man. We've talked about not labeling ourselves with disempowered beliefs. Anything else that we need to share as we kind of wrap up this this moment of this conversation? Yeah, I think we've given a lot of information that should help uh, a woman contextualize and understand and recognize and identify patterns or things that might be going into her selection or opportunities within the relationship to help the passivity. But I think it's super important for a woman to hear from a man who's mentored hundreds and hundreds of men that you can't make a passive man assertive. Yeah. He has to become assertive himself. And maybe that's the most foundational thing I've said all day. Uh, that in a sense, you have to release him to find himself. You have to release that right and that power and that desire and even the control of trying to make him the man you want him to be and that he probably wants to be and give him the space and the room and the freedom and the cheerleading to find it himself. And often that'll take other men or other opportunities outside of you and outside of your family. And that's that's a hard process to, to allow to happen. It takes time. Mm-hmm. To let go of that, to cheer it on, as we talked about, but let go. Yeah. And also a woman who has been taking control of much of this. And probably for very good reasons. Sure. Elliot, thanks again for joining me today. Everyone can find you on Instagram. You've decided to finally (laughs) jump in the Insta game. (laughs) Well, thanks to you and some friends, yes. (laughs) He's at Pastor Elliot Anderson, two L's, two T's, and O-N for Anderson. The community is really enjoying what we're sharing, and I'm so grateful for the feedback that you guys are giving us. Please keep the questions coming because Elliot's clearly going to be special guest star frequently on the podcast. All right, I'm going to say prayer blessing over your listeners again. Bring it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to talk about life and relationships and love. And Lord, you have wired men. You've designed them in your image to be strong and protective and to produce and to provide. And Lord, there's a lot of men out there not doing that. Stuck in their own cognitive distortions or unhealthy beliefs or negative assumptions and Father, there's a lot of great women out there who are finding themselves in relationships with these men or dating these men or married to these men, and and they need your help. They need to consciously uh, recognize, identify, and release him uh, to himself, to you, uh, to others. And uh, Lord, give them the strength and the courage. I know it'll be a risk. There'll be some vulnerability. Uh, Give her what she needs to, to allow that to happen. And Lord, give that man that opportunity to step into himself into his assertiveness, into his strength, uh, recapture his dreams and his visions, uh, his hobbies, his passions, uh, the masculine relationships he needs around him, the brotherhood. And uh, we hope, Lord, that through this podcast and other auxiliary efforts on our behalf, on your behalf, through this program and this podcast, that your will would be done and we'd see some and hear some transformation relationships. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. The love and life hack for this week is if you keep choosing passive men, maybe it's time to let the man choose you. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. As always, I so appreciate you giving me a portion of your day. 
Thanks for being part of the Love and Life family. Be sure to grab your Empowered Dating Playbook. It's on my website for free at loveandlifemedia.com. This is Dr. Karen Anderson Abril, and until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril.